0: So, um, hello, Kay. Um, thank you for talking to me. I would like to take you right back to the beginning. What was your background and were, were, did you, was there any theatre in your blood uh, or are you a rebel? No.
1: No, I'd love to. Uh, I, I have no idea. I'd love to know whether there was any theatre in my background. My father was a lorry driver and my mother worked in a laundry. We weren't very rich. Um, I was born in Hull during the war, but brought up in Leeds. and. Um, First of all, I wanted to be a ballerina and I realized I was really bad. (laughs) So uh, my mom used to let me read out of my storybooks to her and I used to love that. And she, my two older sisters, she paid to learn the piano. She said, What would you like to do? And I said, I think I'd like to act. So there was a Lee's College of Music and Drama, uh, just a, a daily thing, you know, that I used to go to in the evenings for an hour or something. And um, and I loved it. So I decided I wanted to go to drama school, uh, but A, we couldn't afford it, obviously. So I got a grant from Leeds Education Committee. I have no idea how that happened, but I did. And, um, and I got into Ryder. And I wanted Ryder because at that time, it's a bit melodramatic. And I thought, if I can't get any acting work, I just don't want to live. So um, <laughs> a little knowing how little control one has on the amount of work one gets. Uh, anyway, I went to RADA for two years and I was there with people like Tom Courtney and Sarah Miles. And it was a, an extraordinary experience. Plus, I was only just 16 when I went.
0: Now that, that's <laughs> but even, Because now I think people are encouraged not to go that young.
1: I think, I think they're right, really. I mean, I think... And very, not long afterwards, it went up to 18, which I think is more sensible. Um, And of course, I'd know, I mean, I did have the money from ladies' education, but it wasn't a lot, but it paid for me to have some lodgings with a wonderful woman called Mrs. Frost, who looked after me for the two years. But sheer fluke. The gods were obviously on my side. Um, And uh, during the summer break, we had long summer breaks, uh, like all universities, and... uh, I actually got a job being leading lady at Bradford uh, Court Players, Harry Hanson's Court Players in Bradford. My first role was Gigi. <laughs> wow. Um, I, and I did, I, I, it was twice nightly, once weekly, so it was very hard work. Um, but I loved it. And then I went back to Ryder to finish off. And then came the reality that you can't pick and choose your jobs as um, as much as I
0: thought you would be able to. Right, and and uh, I mean, had, did 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 being at Rada? Do you think then did they prepare you for the for the profession, or did you, from what you've alluded, have a slightly false sense of security that was? Uh, the... No,
1: you never, you never had a sense of security at Rada. People used to be thrown out oh, if really? you didn't reach a certain standard. Yeah, that the, the teachers would all meet. Yeah, you know. so, so that in that respect, it was very. Good training for the toughness of, of the business. Um, and it was a very high standard. I mean, it was, well, I think it's to this one of the best that you can go to.
0: Yes. Uh, and just, I just, I've no idea.
1: The gods must have been on my
0: side. <laughs> and and those, I mean, that was Tom Courtney's year. So was that John Thor's year as well? Because were, were they around well, it would
1: at the be. same time? Yeah. Of course, when you were at Radio, you didn't know these people were going to be famous. No. So I can't remember. <laughs> <laughs> who was there? But you name them of that era. They were at RADA when I was at RADA. I think Peter O'Toole had left two years before, and Sean Phillips, of course, got married to him and left two years before. Uh, you name a lot of the northern actors came and went to RADA. It, it was a, an extraordinary time. I don't think sixteen is young, and I, I and I was growing up at the same time. I, I looked older than I was. Uh, I mean, not that I tried, I just did look older being taller and sensible, I think, and, uh, <laughs> and, uh, and it was everything I wanted. I, I visited it, oh, about six years ago, seven years ago, and uh, I just happened to be a parcel, and I popped in and said, could I look round? Yeah, and I realised how, how how rarefied it was, actually. I didn't at the time, I just accepted it.
0: mm <laughs> yeah, well, you never appreciate something until it's—it's it's a bit like I bet it's a bit like going back to school where everything looks a little bit smaller. And
1: uh... that's right. It, well, it looked more impressive. It looked so, so much more uh, like conservatoire and like the Paris conservatoire. Mm. Yeah, I hadn't realised the class that I would become involved in—the what, what the the the... class in it was the smallest. So.
0: One of the things that struck me when I look at, because um, you can see sort of Rada, year, um, RADA years online and, you know, who, you know, who was the class of 61 or whatever. Um, and and a lot of actresses who've got into RADA, which is, you know, as you say, the the sort of top of the pile, because of the way that society was in those days, if they meet and fall in love with somebody and get married, they, that's sort of their career over in many ways because people started families so young. And that seems extraordinary that you'll have taken that path and then suddenly, you know, the the, the chap goes on to be the breadwinner and the and the working actor and the woman sort of has kids and stops, which seems... Well,
1: I, I did get married um, oh, when I was 18. I did everything very quickly and very early, <laughs> I think. Uh, and that was the leading man that had uh, been at, at um, Harry Hansen's Court Place. He followed me back down to London when I went back to Rada. And we did get married, as I say, when I was just over eighteen, in fact. And um he was he became a writer. He, and sadly he's dead now, but uh, that became that I became interested in the process of writing and how writers worked, which led me on to leave acting and go to work with writers which mm. uh, I found much more satisfying, strangely. Never thought that would be possible. Um, he wasn't, I think I, well, I think between us, we we struggled. We, um, we because Patrick always wanted us to work together, which of course is not really possible. Anyway, um, we did a couple of things together. And then I started to do some television, as you know. Mm. And uh, the, one of the first things, well, it was uh, Anne Veronica I first did, which was with Christopher Barry. Who yes. then cast me as and in yes. um,
0: Romans? Well, it's always so that's w-
1: how
0: it it's. It's always worth having a director that casts you a lot. In fact, I talked to an a, a director recently who'd worked with an actor she'd not had a good time with, and she said, "I should have known because on his CV he never works with the He's never worked with the same director twice." Uh, really, <laughs> really. A, that is that, interesting. That a, isn't warn- it? a warning. No,
1: Christopher. He was a great. Support- Porter he was, and he'd cast me the next year in another Doctor Who, and that was Doctor Who and the Savages, which of course has disappeared off the face of the earth.
0: Sad, yes, please.
1: Yeah, there isn't a copy. If anybody
0: finds a copy in their attic, it'll be worth a fortune, I should think. Well, you very kindly uh, gave me the two photos you had from it, which nobody had seen for for no, God knows how no. many years. So um, you were no. sitting on a gold mine yourself. <laughs> oh no, no, uh, no, I don't think so. But certainly the tape would be worth a fortune I would. So, so w- with Christopher Barry, was it just uh, a sort of audition and and uh, was that, was that yeah,
1: how it Yeah, I'd forgotten. There was, there was an article in the Doctor Who magazine quite a while ago when Christopher died. Yeah. And, it said, and there was a thing, a side issue that said Special K, which I thought was lovely. <laughs> um, and it, it had written. I had forgotten how I met Christopher, but I was, as you do as an actor, you write and say you know I would love to meet you is that possible to come and see you um and and I did And that's when he gave me um Ann Veronica which he, which was the first one I did with him and then he did cast me about five times over a period of years you know so yeah. that was um very nice and really helped and then I did things like um uh the first Churchills which which wasn't Christopher and uh Nana another classic serial I did. So things were beginning to happen, and I was beginning to take off, but I was frustrated by acting because, um, you know, the belief that you could do anything and get a job, but it's not true, you know, you, you, it's a fluke. I, my letter happened to land on Christopher's desk at that particular time, uh, but it might not have done, and then I, I couldn't have done anything about it. But when I became interested in writers, I started to read scripts on a freelance basis for Pat Sands. you remember her? Oh, yes. The Bill.
0: They later produced The Bill. Yeah. yeah, she was married to Philip yeah, Bond, wasn't and, she?
1: Yeah, yeah. And um, she said to me, would you, would you like to read scripts for us? So, uh, So I started doing that. I really became interested in that more than in acting. And
0: that
1: led on to other things.
0: It's interesting that you talk about the sort of frustrations of acting, which I think I think those stories, you know, are the same now as as then. But anybody looking at the work that you did in the sixties would go, God, there was so much being made. You know, there was there was so much work available that there probably isn't to the same extent on television now. You know, stuff being made at the BBC week in week out. Um,
1: Yeah, yeah. yeah.
0: uh, Sorry, go go on.
1: I was going to say, if we, I, I mean, I wasn't on the inside, you know, I had no big contacts or anything like that. It was just a fluke yeah. that I managed to keep working, you know. And then, as I say, I think my sister came to, when we were doing Nana, my sister, as I say, my background's not theatrical at all, came and to stay with me for a few days. And she, she came to the studio. We were all dressed in our beautiful costumes and makeup and everything. And she said, do you know, she said, I... I looked at you and I thought, you're all like beautiful butterflies. And if I don't turn on my television, I says, well, you might not have existed. I thought, she's quite right. I'm killing myself. (laughs) I'm such an ephemeral world. And then another time, the other thing that opened my eyes was I was playing in the poker session at Richmond Theatre in London with Stephen Murray. And the, the stage slopes backwards. So Stephen was spieling sort of at the footlights. And I was deep in my character. We were all seated in a circle around him. And I happened to look at the audience and they were all looking up, and I thought, it's a mad world, <laughs> And and I managed to snap back into the character. But those two things were like light switches.
0: Yeah. That's it. And that's quite a turnaround from if I don't act, I'll I may as well not.
1: I know exactly. What a true <laughs> a, a trouble I've done in such a short period. So I, yeah. I think I acted for about nine years.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And so how what was the what was the? You've sort of talked about the inspiration to, to to change, but what was the what was the practical um, change that went from sort of perf- perf- performing to to going to the other side of the sort of the? the well, the- I mean,
1: Pat gave me the step across, you know, by getting me to read scripts, which obviously it worked. What she, what I was writing, it was analyzing them, you know, just is this good or is this bad or could this be made to work and so on. And I found that fascinating. And then other people started to use me as a researcher and I love research. And um, uh, it, it sort of started to, to take up. I'm just trying to think what the first thing was that I can't remember, but I, I began to get known for that and I found more satisfaction. That didn't pay well, but um, I did get a lot of satisfaction from from that. And then, oh, I know. Um, Like everything, things seize up and you get to the cliff edge where there's no money coming and you think, what am I going to do? I've got rent to pay. And that happens throughout your life, really. Well, when you activate us. And uh, the same thing had happened with reading scripts. And I thought, oh dear, what am I going to do? And then I thought, people who do the most new writing is BBC Radio. Yeah. So I wrote to uh, Richard Emerson, and uh, another lucky letter that landed on my desk and he saw me and it's a fluke, it's a fluke. And um, he, he's, he we had a good chat and then I went back and I was absolutely broke and I was demonstrating this cardboard bird which you wound up and let fly and it was supposed to be based, based on a Leonardo da Vinci drawing. Anyway, it was getting to Christmas so, I needed this job. So, I, and it was in a store not far from where I lived in Ealing. So, I wound this darned bird up. I got a crowd around, wound this bird up, let it go. Instead of flying, it fell straight down onto the floor. And a woman from the back of the crowd said, I bought one like that last year and it did exactly the same thing. And I thought, oh, boy, I don't think I could go on. So, I walked out oh, without really? a penny. And the phone went. And it was Richard Emerson. And he said, We've got a six month contract if you're interested, okay? I said, Yes. <laughs> wow. I am. Um, uh and he said about the money. He said, it doesn't matter. <laughs> so I haven't lost that really, haven't.
0: <laughs> so you were living in because I because of course I've I've always associated you with, with being up up north, which is unusual. Well I of
1: course. I, I well, I, I did quite a lot of stuff in London. It was it was wonderful. I did things like um um Oh god! Now my brain's going to go with what you would call it on such and such a channel. Um, Oh, and the Corinna and um, WGBH had were wanting to start their own uh, audio radio theater as opposed to their television, you know, radio theater, Uh, television theater, and uh, a lovely lady called Anna Stout came over. And um, she wanted to buy my production of Anna Karenina and launch the WBH's first audio. And then they asked, and um, what she wanted me to go over and direct their first homegrown thing and direct it like you like we do. And of course, in America, they panport. You know, people are separated; they don't necessarily see each other. So she was fascinated by the way that was interplayed. Of course, um, Anna Karenina is very emotional. Um, So I went over to Boston and uh, they paid for me and uh, they launched it with Anna Karina and then I directed uh, Edith uh, Wharton's House of Mirth, uh, which was an extraordinary experience. And so I had some wonderful experiences, a lot of classic serials and so on. And then I began to realise that the writing that was drawing me quite a lot was Northern writing. I'm a Northerner and I understood... Context. I understood subtext, and uh, so I thought maybe I should move. Well, Alfred Bradley, of course, was there, and he was very encouraging, and he said, "Why don't you move up to to? Uh, well, it was Leeds then, but it became Manchester very quickly." And I thought that's a good idea, and I do like pushing myself. You know, I don't like getting settled and too comfortable. Unfortunately, that's the case. So I I, I talked to uh, London and so on, and they let me transfer my job to Manchester. And that's when I started to do theatre as well. Um, I, you know, I directed quite a lot of theatre, Oldham and uh, the Library Theatre and Withenshaw when it was still going and so on. I also did theatre in London. I did uh, Soho Polly and so on. Um, and that was amazing to be able to mix like that. And then I thought it would be very interesting <laughs> to do television. So I asked if I could take the television director's training course. This was after a few years up in Manchester, which they let me do. And uh, so I started doing television, radio and theatre.
0: Gosh. Well, it seems uh, odd to ask if you have a preference. I suppose it was the mosaic of doing the different ones. that's part of the appeal. But It
1: was, but I, I do love radio. Right. I think it's the most extraordinary. There's no real egos in radio. Nobody knows who you are. Um, the, you get the writers, and you or the writer, and you get the actors together. You're a group. You can work together closely. You can do that in a the theatre, but comes a time when there's a director, you're moving off it, leaving it to the actors once you've put the bricks in place. Um, so I enjoy that. I enjoy it all, yes. But I do love radio. I think it's an extraordinary medium.
0: Yeah. And and of course, because it's, you know, done so quickly and so simply, you can, you know, the, the, the resources available money. cast-wise are extraordinary sometimes, aren't they?
1: Oh, absolutely. And I've worked with amazing people like Paul Schofield, my God, you know. How could you work with anybody better? It was the range, i mean, I can't remember them all now, bless them—but the, you know, the range of actors you could work with was wonderful. And that mo- moment when you all sit around and do a reading in the green room is wonderful, yeah. isn't it?
0: Yeah, it's fabulous. It's—it's <laughs> it's with a heavy You might have heard this—they've—they've they've just Media City has just t- t- closed its radio studio and made it into a television studio. So, so the, oh, the BBC yeah. at Media City have no radio studios at all now.
1: Oh, no. So what do
0: they do? They they hire external studios.
1: Mind you, you see, I started to do external recordings because um, I, I was interested in um, in the way cinema soundtrack sounds different from radio. I wondered why. And that, I think the first one I did was Frost in May. I forgot the name of the Anterior White, I think, was the writer. I can't remember who dramatised it. And it was set in a convent and um, I decided it would be interesting. And and in a horse and carriage, yeah, we ordered a horse and carriage. And it would be interesting because the timing is different, you know, in a theatre or uh, so you pick up cues sometimes quickly or what. There's a different, there is a different rhythm if you do it in that way. Um, And uh, the other thing I did was binaural. Yes, Uh, Valerie Winter, a great friend of mine who's a beautiful writer um, did this about a woman who's got, she listens to her voice she can hear the world around her um, and you hear her speak so we put binaural mics on um, it was Bridget Forsyth actually Um, and again if the audience put the headphones on, they should be in her position so her voice would come in their mind, the nurses or the nuns or whoever were around her would come into the person wearing the headphones so I also thought it would be quite interesting to do a
0: thriller like that yeah I did an <laughs> experiment- <laughs> I did, a, did an experimental thing Not of of that it was all done in binaural sound uh, it was a few years ago now but there's certainly been um, been some interesting experiments done in that way to try and yeah. radicalise how dramas presented yeah. and, and not get in a rut of everything sounding the same.
1: Absolutely. I think one of the problems was that not everybody could hear in that perspective with some people, the banana sound was behind them. And I think that was, I don't think it was to do with technicals. I'm not sure, but I just did about three or four of those, but you, I mean, it, it just widened the scope a little bit.
0: Yeah. Yeah. No, mm-hmm. I think, I think, I think radio is, is, is extraordinary. Um, but you know, with your director's hat on and working with actors, having been an actor and you've alluded to the sort of uncertainty and the rejection, you're suddenly the person that's having to do the, the, the rejecting in the sense that you must, you know, as a director, you're suddenly in a position. How did you take to that, having been on the other side of it?
1: First of all, I have enormous respect for actors because it's a hell of a job and it's one that's totally necessary. The play can't happen without the actor. I always made sure that they were treated very politely. I had I happened on this respect. If, something that happened to me when I was still acting was in, um, it was the first Churchill's. And I played Lady Henrietta Wentworth, the Duke of Monmouth's uh, wife or girlfriend or mistress, I can't remember which. And um, there was, a, he died and she had this really big scene. Uh, where she where she was distressed, obviously, and so on, and I, I was pleased with it. So I wrote to everybody to say, please listen, and they cut it. Oh <laughs> Well, it happens. And one of the things I've made sure I do is that if I have to cut somebody out, I let them know, and I let them know why.
0: <laughs> uh, a, a friend a friend of mine turned up with a date. To the premiere of a film he was in, where he played the lead character in flashback and in dream sequences. And he very enthusiastically introduced his date to the director, who went as white as a sheet and said, Have they not told you the film was overrunning? We got rid of all of the dream sequences and all of that. And he wasn't in the film at all anymore. Oh,
1: God, that's much worse than mine, yeah. Oh, yeah. and, it's, and so I'm very, very aware. But I mean, I don't don't treat anybody roughly. I say I've got too much respect, and you know, we do, we need them. We need actors.
0: Well, and you know, when we look back now at not just television, but society as as a whole, it has you know, at the time that you were doing it, female, you know, the acting profession for women was, you know. Parts parts were restricted the way that society was etc. But for directors as well, there weren't many female directors. So how no. how conscious were you, and how did it affect your work that you were you were one of a sort of s- smaller group, if you like, of people doing what you did? Well,
1: to be honest, I, I wasn't aware of it. I mean, I'm I'm a person first and foremost. Um, I've always found that if I know what I want and I know how to get it from people cameras, lighting, I don't know how to, physically how to do it but I can say that's the look I'm after or that's what I'm after or what I'm trying to achieve is this as long as you know what you're doing, you don't do them, you get respect and it doesn't matter whether you're a male, female or a pussycat you, you get respect um, and so uh, luckily I think I've always known my mind and if somebody comes up with a different idea that's better I'll take it, you know, I'm not proud um, my my first fear when I started directing in television was that I wouldn't be able to talk to cameras because of course I'd worked with actors, I'd worked with writers with lighting, costume, but I'd never worked with anybody on cameras. Not a problem at all. I always thought it might be difficult, difficult for me to communicate. Not one bit. Because I wouldn't say press that button, use that lens, or I'm not that way inclined. Uh, but as I say, if you know what you want, and you know when you've got it. I think that's the main thing as well. Don't keep trying. Don't do twenty-four takes because you're not totally sure. Because yeah. they know, they know you've got it in take two.
0: Well, and and of course, as an actor, you know, you always look at directors and casting directors and think, well, they're 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 the ones in power, and I'm I'm dependent on them for a job. But of course, as a director, you have to you have to put yourself out there and, and hustled and try and get work. So, and you, you know, you worked a lot in television across lots of different shows. So how, how quickly did you sort of establish yourself? And did that work sort of propagate itself? Quite,
1: quite a lot. The one job that I did do, which I have never liked is producing. I, I hate it <laughs> um, because it estranges me from the people that I really enjoy working with, which is the crew and the writers and the actors, and there's an ego thing, which I don't understand. And I have, I actually, I I, um, I produced um, the regurgitation, of that's the right word, of Brook, of, um, not Brookside, I did Brookside, but not as a producer. Um, Crossroads. Um, and uh, so I, I restarted Crossroads after it had closed for X number of years. Um, didn't enjoy the experience. Um, I did Sunburn in Cyprus um, as a producer. Didn't enjoy it at all. I, I, I don't understand the job, to be honest. If if you've got your writer, you, you should be have to get on with it. Your writer, your director, your actors, those are the people that matter. And as long as you've been chosen because they think you can do it as a director, then you should obviously it's good to have a, a caring producer who says, do you think you've got a sharp missing there? So it's always useful to have that. But this, how many um, executive producers are there on things now? It must be a nightmare. Because everybody will have a different point of view.
0: Yeah. And you, know, you have to. I mean, I didn't
1: have that, but, you know, only i ever had one producer, one exec. But I don't know what you do if you've got five people all having money in the product.
0: Well, and direct- directors can't even do their own casting anymore, really, can they? You know, it's uh, they they can no, say they prefer, but it goes upstairs.
1: I know. now I've, I've been lucky, really. Is it just go upstairs? Yeah. Uh, and and I've managed. I mean, one of the brilliant things for me was Coronation Street because yeah. I over a period of twenty years I directed a lot of Coronation Streets. Apparently, yeah.
0: Yeah. Do you do you know how many episodes? I'm going to tell you. Do you know how many episodes you directed of Coronation Street?
1: 259. Good God, really? Yeah. Yeah. Well, of course, that wasn't solid. There no. were uh, gaps when I went to do Sunburn or went off to do Merseybeat or something like that, you know. So it wasn't all solid. It was over a period of 20 years, I
0: believe. Mm. So, but, but why was it that um, you had, you obviously had an aptitude for that show because you kept going back and they kept asking you back. So, what was it that made you and that show? particularly simpatico
1: marvellous writing marvellous in those days particularly marvellous writing and superb actors i i don't watch it so much now so i don't i can't review it now i don't know but all things change and i was lucky to be there at some extraordinary times i mean the the death of Haley. my goodness me that was one of the most moving things i've ever done in my life i'll never forget that and uh, I killed off so many people, Mike Baldwin, you name him, I probably killed them.
0: <laughs> <laughs> you, you, you were, you the, you were the harbinger of doom, were you? You were the grim reaper. <laughs> I must have been. Yeah. <laughs> was Was Hayley's last episode your last? Is that the one you bowed out on, or did? You...
1: Oh, no, it wasn't, no, it wasn't my last. No,
0: but it was the one I remember the one of the most.
1: Her, she and David together.
0: Yeah. Yeah. She, uh, they're yeah, they're amazing actors.
1: Well, they're they're theatre actors. And um they they know they know how to time and to build and so on. So what the way I decided to do it was I took all their scenes and we had a read through, and then I blocked it, you know what I mean by moves and things like that. So I blocked those scenes with just them. Then I got the crew in. We didn't act it, we just blocked it blocked it with the crew in. Then I got the actors to go and rest, and I brought stand-ins in so that the crew could practice their shots, their tracks, their high shots, their low shots, and we could see if there's any problem. Because I said, I don't want to do any retakes. I want it. I want it in their hands, in the actors' hands. I want them to build. Because their instincts were so good and so right. Um, And that's what we did. And I must say, the the television studio, it was just... Such an atmosphere. Because everybody knew it was very, very special.
0: But that's incredibly rare. And as you say, the, the end results were absolutely phenomenal. So it seems odd that it's incredibly rare that to do to do that kind of thing these days, you know.
1: Well, it was a, you were able to because it was written in that way. You know, you know, I can't remember who wrote the scripts now. That's what's so awful. But they were they were they built and and you could take those scenes out and just run them. As one, as it were. I mean, he did have breaks; he didn't just run the wall as one. But yeah, and I I was really very pleased with that. It was a gamble, mm. <laughs> because if they lost their nerves or they would lost their players, or but I knew they wouldn't.
0: Well, it paid off. It was it was fantastic. I mean, do you mind talking about um, a big event that happened to you when you were um, directing Cory that that hit the news? When you were were you were you hit by a unit car or something?
1: Yes, I was, um, I was um, standing on the cobbles uh, outside the Duckhouse virtually, and the garage and looking at my script. Uh, I can't remember who was leaning against the car. Uh, somebody was in there uh, and they wanted to just angle the car slightly differently to stop the boom reflection. So I was looking at my script and I suddenly heard this noise and looked up and this car was heading towards me uh, at the rate of knots, and it caught me in the middle of my stomach and picked me up on its bonnet. Now in the old um, Coronation Street, the paving, the, the pavement was quite high, and I think the driver knew that drove it. I mean, I could have been crushed against the duckboards if it had. But anyway, it hit the pavement and I flew off and fell in the recovery position on my right-hand side with my left arm over. He managed to turn the car and was going to head for the wall outside the medical um, center. And luckily it went, bam. And uh, anyway, I think everybody thought I was dead. <laughs> uh, and I wasn't. Um, and one of the props guys came up, he said, I was the first there. He said, I thought you were dead. Anyway, they got an ambulance, they got the police. It was very painful. Um, and humour is always there, isn't it? The, um, the police went around saying to the ambulance, uh, can we have your name and address, please, for the, you know, you're an actor. And they said, no, no, that's the real thing. We are the ambulance that was sent for. Uh, so I got to into it. And, uh, yeah, it was <laughs> it, it smashed all the right-hand side of my arm. And my left leg, which had come over, and the knee had been broken, so uh, anyway, the, the street looked after me, and uh, I went to hospital I was there for a while, but it was trying to walk around because I had a crutch under my right arm, and uh, on my left, I needed a crutch for the leg, so it was a I, I couldn't really walk properly for a while, but anyway, bless them, they kept my job open. well it I was always freelance so. But, Oh, and the headline that, that was, I think it was in the Daily Mail said, Horror on the Cobbles. And I thought, that's me. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I remember reading about it in the papers at the time. It made it made all the papers. Yeah. All the papers. And I've got a feeling it was around that time, because I think we were supposed to meet then, because the first ever DVD commentary I did was on the Romans. And I think you were supposed to be there and Christopher Barry Christopher Barry said, "Oh, that's she was right. supposed to be here today, but she she's been run over, kind of thing." <laughs> um, so, d- did you? Um, did you? Well, let's as that's taken us briefly back. To to, did you keep in touch with Christopher even when you stopped acting? Were you friends for life?
1: Oh yes, 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 we did. Yeah, I mean, see him because I was up in Manchester and he was down in London, but yeah, we kept in touch. Yeah.
0: And did you, when you were directing, were the things that directors that you'd worked for in television? did that you learnt from consciously or unconsciously
1: I'm not sure I really don't know I'm sure you absorb you're bound to aren't you yeah and um, don't like bullies that's for sure
0: well somebody who gets I will have to talk to you about it, doctor, somebody who gets a bad press is, is, is William Hartnell who I think sometimes people um, get confused with his doctor but what do, do you have many memories of working with him
1: Well, I mean, I liked him. He was very, very kind to me. He knew I was a newbie. Um, I always remember, oh, what was the producer's name? Um, Verity Lambert. Verity. It was Bill's birthday, and she'd arranged for all the stars to go out to Bertorelli's, and and Bill insisted that she included me, which was so sweet. Um, And he was very, very kind. And, And, yes, he was irascible, but... I, I didn't see any badness in him, and he did have a good sense of humor. I mean, they you know they used it in Doctor Who and the Romans, definitely.
0: Oh, it's very funny. I watched it the other day. Um, it's great fun, um, and Derek Francis is a is a hoot.
1: What an honor to be working with people like that, you know? Yeah.
0: So, was he considered a quite a, a a bit? Would he have been quite a big booking for a show like Doctor Who? Somebody like Derek Francis at that at that time? Oh Probably. yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. yeah. Yes, it
0: was. Yeah. Um. And then, uh, and the 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 BBC ha- had a kind of we we tend to, I think, romanticize, don't we, a little bit the fact that when the BBC was making stuff in house, you could do you could do something like the Romans because they had they had pillars in a warehouse somewhere, they had costumes in stock and all of that. Do you do you think we've lost something? in that the BBC doesn't have that monopoly anymore, or as somebody that's worked in commercial television, do you think actually better stuff is made in a more competitive environment?
1: I don't like competition, but, um, the, um, I think, I mean, when you look at the, so Dr. Who's, my goodness me, you know, they are dated and look at what they're doing now. Uh, and I think that's amazing. Absolutely astonishing. Uh, And so I don't, I, I, they're they're different worlds really. I don't, I don't see how you can compare them. Um, I don't think, you know, I think, I think standards are very, very high now. Well, I think they were then, but within a limited time. After all, you couldn't do retakes in those days, uh, because it was too expensive on film, shooting on film, it was too expensive. And I remember in Doctor Who, the Romans, we used to run up and down a corridor. It was the same corridor. We used to turn around and run back again. <laughs> but it was it, a lot of people have got an affection for it.
0: Yeah, well, do, doing farce in a tiny BBC studio is is quite – because it, essentially it's a farce, isn't it? It's lots of airing about.
1: Yeah, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. But, I mean, things have changed so much. You can't compare.
0: No. Um, but you, it was interesting what you said about your sister saying, you know, all this effort's gone into something that if you don't watch it, it's gone, and that's what that's what happened mm. with the Savages. I mean, it was on, and now it's gone. Uh, exactly, and as
1: I say, so many people would love to find it, but I don't. not suppose they ever will.
0: Well, you never. Well, you know, there is, there is there's it's what keeps, us, things what keeps us going, Kay. It's what keeps. It's what keeps. Well, us... I
1: think I think. Someone... I think somebody thought they discovered it in an attic in South Africa or something like that. That was one rumor I heard.
0: Yes, the, 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 I don't the, think Doctor Who missing episode rumors are abound, and it's what it's what keeps us going. <laughs> um, but what, yeah. what what do you remember of that one? Because obviously it's, it's 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 probably one of the least known Doctor Who stories because there's there's nothing oh. there's nothing of it at all. Uh, have you got sort of goldy yeah, kind that's... of silvery makeup on? Yeah, like we it.
1: had a silvery makeup. Yes, because we were supposed to be pure and lovely, and of course we weren't. We were horrible. Um, but uh, yeah, yeah. Ooh. I mean, the one of the things that I remember about it was I was killed. <laughs> I was shot.
0: Oh yes, of course you were. You make it to episode up. two. Yeah, yeah. You <laughs> and so
1: you're,
0: you're an actor called Robert Sidaway, who I think you did a card. Yes.
1: Yeah, somebody wrote to me about Robert to say he he was in America, I think. They were doing an article about him could I remember anything about him? And I couldn't not not that he wasn't good or anything, but I couldn't remember a great deal. Well I don't so, know the, the he got.
0: Yeah, you I'm afraid you mm. both did. You were called Avon and Flower, which which I it was named... called
1: Flower, I remember that, yeah. Oh dear.
0: names Flight of Fantasy. It. <laughs> Is it Derek?
1: Odenot? Is it Derek who
0: wrote that script? No, it was Ian Stuart Black. Ian Stuart Black, that's right. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. Because of course that brings us to the fact that you know you had that you you developed this interest in, in writing, um, and you worked on as an actor on People's Scripts, you worked as a director on People's Scripts, and then you so did you write for pleasure before you um sort of concentrated on it? Once you'd stop directing, I mean, did is have you got lots of are you somebody with lots of notebooks at home with with half-form scrawled ideas or?
1: No, I actually
0: have written a novel, um, which is set in Edwardian
1: times. It's a crime novel, um, and I wrote it because it came out of research I did years ago into uh, women who committed crimes in Victorian times. And the series was called Wicked Women, but it didn't use this particular idea, which I thought was superb story. I changed it moved it to Edwardian times and created a different background for her and a different background for the other character in the novel and so I did do it it took me a long time because I kept having to do other work
0: well no that's because that's what that's what I was leading up to because we because I, I, we, I we've I, uh, we I I plugged your book I think in Doctor Who magazine and and and, and but it's but I, I, I wondered if if you'd been writing prior to or was or, or that just came out of a le- very long process did it? i wondered if you'd if you turned to writing once you'd stopped directing or if it was something that was always on the i did the, i going. i wrote a
1: couple of docu- i did try to co- write a couple of documentaries uh, for uh, bbc radio 4 uh historical fact uh because i was interested in using the words of the actual people without having a narrator interfere with it um, and there was The Murder of Sir Thomas Overbury in The Tower, which I wrote. I can't remember the other one. It was one of the um, George's Brothers, but I can't remember much about it. Um, and then I did write a couple of novels, which were not very good. Um, and they were historical. I had research, you see. Um, and then this one took a lot of work, a lot of work, because I started looking at it from one point of view uh, uh, as the participant, in the novel, and then realised that wasn't the right way to go into it. It was a different angle I needed. Took a lot of work, um, but I'm I'm pleased with. it. Got some nice reviews, so that's good.
0: Yeah, well, yes, t- I, well, you've got a chance to to plug it now. So tell tell the listeners <laughs> tell the listeners all about it. it well, I, I won't go into
1: detail, but it's called the Trial of Marie Montrecourt Court. Um, who was um, brought up in France, but in, the, but in an English convent, um, and uh, her father was uh, an aristocrat. Who and nobody wanted her to be known, so they arranged for her to marry a um, businessman in Ilkley, um, a nice middle class guy. Well, not very nice actually. Um, And the whole thing goes wrong. What I wanted to show was how her life was manipulated. She never realized, she didn't know anything about her background. Her mother died when she was born. She was brought up in this convent. Her father paid the convent to keep her there until she was 18. And then he paid for her to come back, marry this man whom he'd very briefly met. Um, And... uh, her life, it was just at a time when women's movement was beginning, when the Labour Party movement was beginning to, to happen. So things were changing. But sadly for Marie, it couldn't change for her enough, or quickly enough. So you can see her life. You can see the things that are happening. Because you saw this. what was her, her brother, actually, uh, illegitimate though she was. He was her brother. He was the son of the aristocrat. He begins to uncover his father's real past, um, his father who fought in the Boer War um, and who died, and he began to uncover something about this woman, Marie, and um, he tracks her down. And it's just the way things just miss. And as the audience, as a read it, you can see it all happening, but you can't warn her, you can't uh, tell her. And, and <laughs> so there's
0: that involvement. And how, and how did you find the pre- Stephen Moffat, uh, who ended up being Sharon, a showrunner doctor? Who I think says um, uh, um, having written is marvelous, but writing is torture. I think, or something along that. You know, the 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 the, the joy yeah. is in the achievement of doing it, but the doing it is quite hard.
1: No, I, I love the the doing it because I like to go back, and make it better, go back and make it better. As I say, was a lot of rewriting, uh, and I had some very good writer friends who were very honest with me, and I was very grateful for that. Um, no, I think the hardest thing is once you've written it, how the hell do you sell it if you're not famous? It's very hard. It's very hard. But uh, it's still, I still get little trickles through, so that's good.
0: Good. Well, hopefully I'll get a little, a, a few trickles after this. <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm, I'm conscious of your time, okay? but do you, uh, so we'll round up. Do you, do you watch much now? Do you, and do you miss it? And do you think, um, as somebody that's that's made television, again, we get very rose-tinted spectacles. I think, are, are you happy with, with a lot of what you see on the telly?
1: I think there's some very good things, some brilliant actors, some superb actors. Um, but um, there's good and bad in all things. But I, I think standards are high, yes. Um, I don't miss it, and I'm amazed I don't miss it. Well, I didn't have, when well, I said I didn't have much of a laugh, I did but I didn't have time to socialize, see people, talk to them much, you know what I mean? And I'm doing that now, which is nice. Talking to thank you me. is lovely.
0: Oh, well, bless you. Um, well, I, I will say goodbye properly, but for the purposes of the interview part of this, uh, Kay Patrick, thank you very much.
1: Thank you.